Hey, um, I just wanted to uh, reiterate uh, some of what Ryan said and just thank you guys for uh, being a part of, um, you know, just the, the time that we were able to, when we talked about being the church, we've, we've kind of gotten some of the responses uh, of that. And I just, uh, whenever we go through a series, it always, it always strikes me. I always hope that there will be kind of this uh, lasting effect, especially when we talk about what does it mean to be the church? that we learn how to really lean into that together, you know, whether it's giving and supporting the work that God is doing and making sure that we're a part of that or whether it's being involved in that and, and that type of thing. So I really do appreciate um, just how many of you guys kind of stepped up. It was fun to kind of just see this body kind of uh, make that affirmation together. So um, appreciate that. Um, we are in a series on uh, the life of Abraham. We started that last uh, last week. Um, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but as human beings, we live in this, um, this tension that we have between uh, being satisfied with what we have or seeking after those things that we consider, you know, what would it be like to have these things if we just worked for them a little bit or reached for them a little bit? Um, now, the balance between those things differs wildly between us, right? How many of you guys would consider yourselves to be those who are just kind of like being sitting in your contentment and just enjoy the things that you have? Anybody like that here? Uh, you can raise your hands. I mean, I mean, it's okay. And how many of you guys live on that edge where you're constantly kind of scanning the horizon going, I know there's something new out there for me. Right? Anybody like that? Right. So, and we live somewhere on that, on that scale, all of us. But we all have both of those right? We all have a balance of both of those things. So all of us at some point will find ourselves in that moment where we step out in some sense and we take a risk. We risk to try and lay hold of something that we don't yet have. It may be like a friendship. It may be a job. It may be you try a new, fo- uh, new food that you have never tasted or you, you move to a new place and, and, you know, that you've never lived. And whenever we do that, we step out and we take this risk. But I don't know if you've had this experience where you actually step into a risk like that. You step into some kind of new adventure that you're going to take. And the further you get in, the more you begin to question whether that was a good idea or not. You ever had that one? Right? So like you have that, that job, you know, and the, the more you're in that, that interview and you have, uh, and the deeper you get into it, the more you're going, I think I'm over my head. I don't know what I'm doing here. Right? You ever had that? Maybe, how many of you guys have bought a house or a car or just a little trinket or something, but as soon as you buy it, it's buyer's remorse? Same thing, right? You're going, I'm not sure that was such a good idea. Or you invest in a friendship, and the further you get into it, you pour yourself into it, but the further you get into it, you just go, I'm not sure this is a person I'm ever going to connect with. I don't get, why did I? And you go back to the beginning, you go, well, I'm not sure that was a good decision to make. How many of you have done that with God? Where, where God, you know, you, you felt him stirring you and he's nudged you towards doing something, but the closer you get to that thing or the more you lean into that thing that you feel like he called you into, the more you start to question whether you actually heard God or not, right? Have you ever had that happen? Okay, that was Abraham. 
That was Abram. Now, we read the first part of his story, you know, and, and we heard about how God spoke to him and called him. But then he, we read last week, he got all the way to this land of Canaan. He was super excited about it. But this week, we're going to read about how he gets there. And then he looks around and he starts to go, I'm not sure I heard. Did I hear him right? Right? Why don't you stand with me? We're going to look at Genesis 12. Last week, we looked at the first five verses. We're going to look at verse 6 through 10. Talks about how Abram, he gets down there and he looks around and he begins to wonder if God's really called him here. Genesis 12, 6 through 10. Abram passed through the land of Canaan as far as the site of Shechem to the Oak of Morah. Now, you guys all know where that is, so I don't need to go into that. He got about a third of the way into the country. That's what it's saying. This land mass, it was the, the land of Canaan. Now, I want you to pay attention to this next line because we're going to come back to it. Now, at that time, the Canaanite was still in the land. You know, you're going to find, this is just kind of an extra for you guys. You're going to find, as you read the story of Abraham, a lot of times in the Old Testament, but this story in particular, I found there are certain one-liners that just kind of, you got to catch them because they really... They really form the story. Last week we saw it was, and Lot went with him. That shaped everything that he was talking about. This is the line this week. At that time, the Canaanite was still in the land. So Yahweh, the Lord, appeared to Abram and said to your descendants, I will give this land. So Abram built an altar there to Yahweh who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded south from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel to the west and Ai to the east. And there he built an all, another altar to Yahweh and called on his name. And he kept going south to the south country, the wilderness of the Negev. But there was a famine in that land. So he went down to Egypt to sojourn there for the famine in the land was severe. Last week we saw that Abram, God had asked Abram to take a step of faith. And it was stepping to a risk that most of us will never have to face. He asked him to leave his country, to leave his family, to leave everything he had known, his whole support system, and to move hundreds of miles away, knowing that he would probably never be back, maybe never see these people again that he had left, his family, right? Now, most of us don't have to face that, but the reason Abram did it is because God said, because I want to make you into a great nation and into a blessing for all the families of the world. And so he looked at that, he said, that sounds like, that sounds like something worth taking the risk for, right? And so he moved, and he left. And when he got there, he found that it wasn't quite what he had imagined. Have you ever been there? And as he looked around, all of a sudden he, he doesn't feel as prepared for this thing as he thought he was when he had left. He looks around, he's intimidated by what he sees, and so he, he, what does he do? He keeps moving. <laughs> Have you ever done that? Where you try, and, you try and help God out by finding a safer place for him to do the work that he says he wants to do in you? Right? God calls you and you look around and you say, ah, he couldn't amend this place because look at all that. I'm going to go over here. This seems a little better. So he goes down to Bethel and Ai and he looks around there and he goes, ah, I'm not sure this is it either. So he keeps going. He goes down to Negev. He ends up all the way down in Egypt because he's trying to find the safer place where we do this. 
Have you ever done that? That thing that God calls us to looks a little too intimidating for us and so we move on, mainly because we're trying to find that safer place that God might do his work or we might try and make it easier for God to do this thing he's doing in us. The problem is, is that God in his wisdom knew what he was calling us into and he knew that this is the place that he wanted to bring us because no matter what our aversion is you know, to, to risk, what our level is, God knows that all of us are going to have to take that step at some point and it's going to shape us, it's going to stretch us, it's going to make us into the people he needs us to be. So most of the time when we move on, God waits for us in that place that we left. There are times we need to go back to that place to find that calling that God called us into. Now he never leaves us, right? He's always with us. But he wants us to learn this and I want us to hear this. We need to learn. He wants us to know that safety and success are not found in finding a place that we're comfortable with. Safety and success, prosperity, prospering in God, growing in him, that is always found in going and staying where he has called us. That's where his work is done. That's where we're made to be more like Jesus. Amen? Today's message is titled playing it safe. Father, this morning, uh, you know us. You know us. You know that we all, um, we see danger and we fear. And Lord, you are growing us, though, into people of faith. You're growing us into those who, when we see danger, we see you first. And we trust you. And we know that you don't call us into a place unless you are going to Set yourself around us. You say you, your angels literally encamp around us and protect us. Lord, you're not going to call us to a place unless you're providing for us. You're not going to call us to a place where we have to figure out the plan. We just have to trust you and walk with you in the plan that you've already figured out. So, Father, this morning, you know us. You know where you're meeting us. And I pray that your spirit would take this word, take this this example that, God, your people have been providing examples from the beginning of time. Here's Abraham. We've had those in our own life who have taught us these things, have illustrated these things to us of what does it mean to follow after you. Sometimes we illustrate, and we illustrate this for others, and we do it both positively and negatively, but Father, we want you to come today and, and to use this word and, and this, this picture in Abraham's life to teach us, to train us, to shape us, to be those people of faith that you desire us to be so that we might show more of Jesus and less of that brokenness, that fear that we carry with us. So Father, come and do that work. We pray for your glory, Father, in the name of Jesus, because he has made all of this available to us in the name of your spirit who works these things in us for your glory. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. So as I was getting this message ready, I had never thought about this before, but um, this kind of brought me back to think about some things in my life. And I realized, you know, my family, the family that I grew up with, my sisters and brother, um, my mom and dad, we have this uh, a pretty clear, lean, pretty high tolerance for risk. And it's not this crazy, like, death wish wit kind of risk. It's just, but risk. 
And because of that, what, what made me think of this, I was thinking about all the things that my, my siblings have been involved in because they were willing to, to really step pretty deep into places that may not have been that comfortable or looked all that uh, inviting from the outside. So as a result, you know, I have siblings who have... Um, you know, they've been bungee jumping off the highest bridge in the world in New Zealand. You know, they've been climbing some of the uh, um, prominent mountains on various continents. So, you know, they go all over the world at different times, but also who have been involved in things like um, leading Bible studies in St. Petersburg, Russia, as soon as the, the Iron Curtain came down. Um, I, my sister was in northern Iraq working with Kurds just before the end of the Iraqi war. I mean, in the midst of war, she's up there uh, working and, and just, you know, to improve people's lives, to, but to make, to make Jesus known, too, and stepping into these places of risk. Um, they've been involved with, I don't know if you guys remember this, but sub-Saharan Africa, before the time that we had developed some of the, the protocols and the medications for that combat and, and kind of um, combat AIDS, before that, Sub-Saharan Africa, they were expecting that by 2050 was going to be a land primarily, right, of orphans, whole villages that didn't have a single adult left. And, and so my brother was going out actually and working with communities just to plan for and to rebuild communities and their structures and the ways that they did, you know, just life, whether it was agriculture or whether it was just... And, um, to prepare for probably the worst disaster that we even thought was coming. Thank God that's not how it, it ended up. I'm so thankful for things like just scientific, but, but here's my brother just stepping out saying, yeah, I need to be in the middle of this. I need to be because this is where the, the grace of God, the love of God is probably most needed in our generation right now at this point. Because of that, uh, they have been in mission and development type of work in military zones, in, in inner city settings, in rural, um, rural poverty type of settings and, and locations around the world. And so I look at that and, and with all that God has allowed me to be a part of and, and has brought me into, I still, I, I looked at that and I'm just humbled by this group of people that I got to grow up in the midst of who just model that kind of faith, that kind of willingness to step out, not for themselves, but really um, for the sake of others and to make Jesus known in, in situations that many would label as just too risky, as too, as too intimidating. Now, um, some of you guys are hearing that and you're going, well, yeah, that's what I do in my life. And I grew up in that kind of family too. And I'm going, you know, some of you guys are, are, I mean, you're just nervous that there are people out there doing that, that you're hearing this for the first, you, what? You know, why would anybody do, right? And, and that's the spectrum we live in. That's, that's that breadth of what it means to be human. And you guys, God knows that. God knows where we are. God does not call us to meet us in a place of who we are not. He meets us where we are. So wherever we fall on that, because we're always going to be, have those opportunities to do something. But God meets us where we are, but he always calls us to take a step that moves us more towards who Jesus is 
and less towards us. Sometimes that means some of you guys, I mean, there are people out there that they, when they talk about risk, they run into it. If there is a burning building, they're gonna run into it. Well, sometimes you gotta pull back on that and God's going, you know, wisdom does have its place, right? So some people have to pull back. There are other people that are just sitting there going, you know, if I just sat on this couch the rest of my life, I'd be fine. And God's going, you know, I need you to move a little bit more than that. God will meet you where you are. He will ask you to take a step into something that's going to probably feel very intimidating for you because that's who he's working with. But he does it because he knows that where he calls us is going to develop, is going to change us, is going to stretch us, is going to make us more like Jesus and more like that faith-filled person that he intended for us to be who knows what it means to partner with him and to trust in him and less like that fearful, comfortable, maybe even apathetic person. Those things that he's trying, he's trying to shave those things off of us because that is not um, what we're intended to be. And so in the story, in the story of Abram, um, we see this happening. You know, and when the story of Abram starts, we saw this last week, God calls Abram and everything sounds great. And, and I want you to think about this in your life. You know, when you're looking at opportunities, everything looks great from that, from that perspective before you actually, when you step into them, that's when it gets rough. But when you're looking at it, you can imagine it to be whatever you want it to be. And, and so everything last week sounded, sounded amazing. And then when you take that first step even towards that thing, have you ever had that, that rush of adrenaline with, that comes when you finally kind of cut loose and go, I'm gonna do it, right? And you kind of take that step forward, you pull the trigger, you, you move away from home, you kind of move towards the land of Cana, you, you start kind of moving that way and, and you just get that real kind of rush. You're not there yet still, but you just kind of get that great feeling that I'm on my way, this is gonna be great, right? So Abraham had all that. And he arrives in Canaan, and that's where we pick him up this week. And he arrives in Canaan, and he looks around, and he realizes, ah, there was something I forgot I didn't take into account. There are all these Canaanites, and they're still here. And it doesn't seem that God ever sent them the memo about me coming and getting their land, right? So he looks around, he's a little bit, it's intimidating. And so first of all, you know, God meets him, and it says that God shows up, and he speaks to him. And he says to him, he says, you know what? I am going to give you this land. I'm going to give you this land. It's going to be for you and for your descendants. And Abram, you know, he's so caught up in the moment, and he, he builds, this, he builds this, this altar, and he worships God, and he just says, that's awesome, you know, because God, but then as he's looking around, he goes, yeah, but we haven't solved the problem yet. And he says, uh, and so he looks around and says, what does he do? He gets intimidated and he goes, ah, I'm gonna move on. And so he moves on and he moves down to Bethel, which is about halfway, two thirds of the way down. And he moves on to Bethel and he's camps between Bethel and Ai, which are these two towns. And he's looking down there. I, I think he's probably looking for a place. Maybe there's a place that can fit in a little bit better. Maybe a little, few, few less Canaanites around. So he pitches his tent. Now I want you to hear a difference in the story here because it says there he builds the altar and he calls on the name of the Lord. Up in Shechem, he lands there and God speaks to him. And that's why he builds the altar. 
Have you ever been following God and God says, I want you to plant you here and you're going, ah, I'm not sure about that. So you move over here and you try and copy some of the things that happened here. Hopefully that God will get on board and come with you, right? You know, I built an altar here. There's a great worship party going on here because God has spoken and stuff like that. Let's go over here. Well, let's build the altar, call on God. Let's, maybe he'll speak and say, okay, this will work too, Right? Problem is, God wants us where he called us because that's where he does his work. He doesn't want us to find a better place so he can and ask him to come with us to do what we want him to do kind of in the setting is a little bit more comfortable for us. Make sense? Well, he gets down there and he looks around and there's still Canaanites around. Still a little bit intimidated. You know, and, and plus, he's not hearing God's voice as clear anymore which makes sense, so he gets a little bit more scared. So then what does he do? He moves further south, and he goes down to this place called the South Country, the, the Negev. And the Negev, the Negev is a, rough, it's a, it's a rough place. You know, we lived in Kansas for a couple of years, and after we moved away from Kansas, um, they started giving land away in Kansas. Three acres if you'd come build a house and live there for three years. And not a lot of people took them up on it, you know, because they weren't given like prime land away. It wasn't like right down the street from Kansas City or something. This is the land that everybody else was abandoning. That's why they had it to give away. And they're just trying to get whatever we got to do to get people out there, right? And so they're giving away this land and, and there's some people that took it. But it was, for the most part, it was because nobody wanted that land. That's why they were leaving. That was the negative. I mean, they could have given land away down there. Nobody would have taken them because it was uninhabited wilderness. It was desert. Well, finally, Abram gets down there and he looks around and he goes, finally, no Canaanites. Why? Because they knew better than to live there, right? But he goes, finally, here, God, why don't you do what you were talking? Why don't you do that here? Because I don't have any opposition here. Problem is, as he goes down there, um, you know, I was watching this uh, National Geographic documentary the other day, and it was talking about this region. It was talking about how in this region, 4,000 years ago, when Abram would have been there, they had this just devastating, not just like a short drought. This was decades of drought. And, and they have, when geologists, when, when archaeologists look in the soil strata, they find it is a significant just place of just, they just look at it, it's just all across the whole, the whole region is defined by the strata that says there was a devastating drought. The South Country was hard enough to live in in good times, but Abram decides to land there and say, let's try it here in the middle of this horrible drought. So he lands in a place that's safer, but is, is unlivable, Right? I mean, many times we, we offer God when we finally get to the place that we feel comfortable in, it's like, yeah, but I can't do anything because there's nobody around here to bless, right? I can't make you a blessing to a nation. You can't even survive here. So Abram finally figures it out and he, he moves even further. He moves down to Egypt. I was looking at a map. Egypt, so, you know, he came from his home up in Haran. It was to the north. And he moves down and he, and he comes into Canaan and he makes his first altar. If you look at the distance between Haran and the altar and the, difference, the distance between that altar and Egypt, it's about the same. He moved as far south away from that place that God met him as he had moved south to get to that place. 
That's how far he had drifted because he was trying to find a safe place for God to do his work. Well, he gets down to, he gets down there and, and this is one of the things. You guys, you know, there's, there's so much packed in this story. You know, when we, when we move away to try and find God a better place, a lot of times we move far enough light to the South Country that all of a sudden these dynamics come into play, right, that are just bad for our lives. And we go, you know, and they almost force us into other moves that move us even further away. We're not making the choices anymore. We're like, well, I got to move because we're in the middle of a drought. And so we're forced to move and we move to like an Egypt or something Sometimes we look at the bad things that are happening in our life. We're like, why are these happening? Well, it's because we're off track. We're, we're far enough south now that, you know, that, that God's not, it's not only that we're moving away from God, but everything is almost like working against us, even moves us further away from God. So he gets to Egypt. <laughs> and I love this because he gets to Egypt and he has to sit down with his wife and he has to say, Sarai, so this is what we got to do. You got to say you're my sister now. Because if anybody knows you're my wife, they might kill me because you're so beautiful. They'll want you as their wife. And that's the kind of place that Egypt is. They'll just kill you to take your wife. And you're going, you left Canaan for this? You know, <laughs> I mean, you're intimidated by the Canaanites and you move into a place where they'll kill you just to get your wife because she's pretty. You know, so again, it's like, look at where he's ended up. But he makes this plan with her. And it actually works out that way, except it's actually the Pharaoh of Egypt that, that says, man, she's a beautiful looking gal. I think I'll have her as my wife and takes her into his home. And immediately God starts sending plagues on the, on the, the house of, of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh, he goes, what's going on here? And God literally comes to him and says, well, you've taken this guy's wife. He's like, what? He goes, I didn't know. He said it was his sister, right? And Abraham's like, well, she's kind of my sister. If you do the math, this, you know. And the Pharaoh's like, what are you talking about? You know, I almost, my whole, my whole household, my whole country was being pummeled because you told this lie because you're in my country when you should be up here. You shouldn't even be here. So here's Abram, who's going to be, you know, the blessing to the nations, right? <laughs> you know, he's going to be this guy that blesses the nations and his first nation, his first opportunity he has to do that. And he's like, the Pharaoh kicks him out and says, do not come back to this place because you scare me and your God scares me and I, I don't know what to do with this, but get your stuff together, but don't come back. <laughs> no. The next time they came back, it wasn't very good either for Egypt. I don't know if you remember that story, <laughs> right? So um, here's Abram, right? And he goes out of Egypt. And uh, again, what we find is, but when he leaves and they kick him out of Egypt, we're told that, he doesn't just leave with what he came with. In fact, he's loaded up with silver and gold and, and um, livestock and, and um, even more servants to the point that for the first time in the story, coming out of Egypt, it says, and Abram was wealthy. Now, you guys, I don't know about you, but when we hit that point where it seems like we're finally, you know, my ship's finally come in and stuff, that's when we start to think, oh, finally, you know, I must be on track with God because, because, um, I'm wealthy now, right? Um, I finally have what, I have this comfortable living or this comfortable kind of buffer around me of stuff and things. And, and, and so um, 
I must be on track with God. But this wealth that Abram's bringing out of Egypt with him, this is actually the wealth that's going to make him and Lot have to part ways and push Lot towards Sodom. And that doesn't go well for Lot, does it? Right? This is also, we find that some of the servants, one of the servants that he picks up is this young servant girl named Hagar. And if you don't know that story, we're going to be pushing in that next week. But Hagar gets stuck in the middle of this kind of love triangle thing with him and Sarai as they're trying to figure out how do I get an a heir to make this great nation. And, and she gets stuck having, and she has this child that ends up actually having, I mean, the impact comes down to our day where Ishmael, her child that she has with Abram, ends up being like the, the father of many, many trace their lineage in the Middle East back to, to Ishmael. And they have had a hatred for Jacob's, you know, Jacob, Abram's other children, Isaac and Jacob. They've had a hatred, a, a animosity towards one another for generations that goes back to this. Because Abram decided to keep moving south to make it safer for God, ended up in Egypt. You guys, sometimes the implications of the decisions, the choices that we make, we don't even live to see the waves of impact that go down through the generations. Crazy thing in this story is that even after he's kicked out and goes back and he kind of sets up shop, he looks around again at another point. You know, after, I think it's after Sodom and Gomorrah get destroyed. And he looks around and he says, this isn't safe anymore. And he runs down to the Negev again. Abram, he's already been through this once, but he does it again. This time he can't go another, you know, famine's still going on. So he doesn't go to Egypt this time. He can't go back there. He goes to the Philistines. Same thing happens. He says, Sarai, you know what we got to do? You got to be my sister again. The king of the Philistines, he, he falls in love with Sarai. Same thing happens. The same thing happens where he gets plagued. He comes up to Abram. What are you doing? You're trying to kill us. Get out of our country. Second country, second nation, family of the earth that he has the opportunity to bless. And again, just scares the tar out of him because of God. And why does God do that? Because he's protecting this, this plan. He does plan to bless the nations. He's going to do what he said. But as long as we keep running off, trying to set up our own plans, our own places for it to happen... He keeps having to do the work to keep his plan on track in us and to call us back to the place that he wants us to be. You know, finally, at the end of the story, you know, Abram, there are a couple of choices. He starts making, he goes, oh, so you want me here? Oh, okay. Well, I ought to just stay here then, huh? You know, and you see him making these choices that he actually says, okay, I have the choice to move on, but I'll, I'll just, I'll stay here, right? It's like God goes, yeah, God, right? God wants us to learn that when he calls us to a place, he will protect. When he calls us to a place, we don't have to figure it out. He will work the details. When he calls us to a place, he wants us just to trust that he knows what he's doing. He wants us to be, a, it's going to look intimidating. It's always going to stretch. It's always going to challenge something in you about your safety or your comfort. About It's always going to do that because he doesn't want us to remain the same. He wants us to be more like Jesus. 
And that's gonna take something changing. That's gonna take something breaking inside and getting rid of something and replacing it with something new. He always is going to do that. So what do we do with this story of Abraham? First, I think there's, there's three questions that we need to be asking ourselves. Three questions that we need to be asking ourselves that come out of this story. The first is this. We need to ask ourselves as we pursue this life of faith, is there a place or a process or an action that God has called me to that I am certain of? I don't mean those things that we hope God's calling us you know, to do or that we wish he would call us to do or that we see somebody else doing and we wish we could do that. So we say, is that my? No, I mean, there are things in our lives, all of us, that we have things that we know that God has nudged us towards or he has put on our heart or there are things that we know. Maybe it's that, maybe it is something like he's calling you to, he's, he's, he's stirred in you to get involved in some kind of a ministry. You know, work with the kids or, or reach out to your community or, or just say hello to your neighbor. You know, it's something, he, he's asking you to just do something like that. And you know, because every time you pass the thing, you're just going, oh, there it is again. God's, it, it may be something like, you know you have an offense that you're holding on to in your life. And you have to, God, every time, you, every time you, you pray, God's saying, I really need you to forgive. Forgive. To let you, have your heart let this thing go. Maybe it's something, there's a sin, there's a habit, there's this thing in your life that has just taken root. And you know that God is just saying, I want you to be relentless about getting rid of that thing. Do whatever it takes so that I can replace it with this, this other, this, this godly habit, this godly kind of perspective in your life. And you know, you know what it is. Is there something in my life that I know God has called me towards? Question one. Question two is this. Is there something about that call that intimidates you? Right? You look at it and you go, I don't know how I'm ever going to do that. I don't know how God could ever use me to do that. I don't know how I could ever let go of that. I don't know that I want to let go of that. I don't know that I want, right? Is there something about that call that just stands in the way and it intimidates you? And it feels just like a threat. It makes you uncomfortable about walking into that. Because the third question is this, and this is the key. What would it look like for me to act what action would I take? What investment would I make? What kind of choices would I, decisions would I make? How would I invest time or energy? Or if I were, instead of doubting that God could carry me in this and shape me through this, instead of doubting that I trusted him in it, how would I act if I trusted him? What would I do if I believed what he said? What, how would it, it change me if I believed he was going to use this to make me more like Jesus? He was going to use this to make me more of a blessing to others, right? Because the fourth thing is just a really easy. Do that, right? Do those things. Lean into that place of faith where you believe that if God calls you clearly, you should probably go with his plan and not maybe your own to make it safer for yourself or easier for God. Go with his plan. 
Trust him in it. Walk with him through it. The thing that God is always trying to teach us is that safety and success are never found, never found in straying away from God. That safety and that true success in our lives is always found with staying with him. Staying with him in the middle of whatever he calls us into. In the middle of the things that he's called us into. You know, if he has called you into a fire, it's not meant to destroy you. He says, if he calls you into a fire, it's meant to refine you. So that you come out more pure in who you truly are than when you went in. Right? When, if he calls you into a place of, of challenge and of threat, it's, it's not so that you'll be overcome. You know, he says even when we stumble, we're not going to fall because he's the one that holds our hand. He gives us, he gives us these um, psalms like Psalm 90 where it says, you know, the one, who, the one who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide, will remain in the shadow, the covering of the Almighty. Therefore, I will say, I will say to the Lord, my bulwark, my strength, my God in whom I trust. My trust is the key. You know, he goes on, he says, you know, there's gonna be a thousand could fall in your right hand. 10,000 will fall on your left and it's not even gonna touch you. It's not even gonna come near your dwelling place because the Lord is the one who leads you. The Lord is the one who holds you. I love this one line at the end of it. It says, he will take you, he will set you. He says, I will bless this one. I will protect this one because they have loved me. I will set them inaccessibly high. I love that phrase. I will set them inaccessibly high. Now we're gonna go through stuff because it's, it's going through stuff that shapes us, but we're not gonna be destroyed by it ever. We're gonna find that even death itself does not put an end to what God's doing, right? That's part of what Jesus was telling us. He overcame death. So we're not, we don't even, we can stare at death and say, I'm not even, I don't have to be afraid of that. I'm intimidated by it, but I don't have to move. I don't have to try and find a safer place. I don't have to go looking for it, right? But I sure don't have to run. Because if God has called me here, he's gonna do the work. Because he, he is faithful, he is true to finish the work that he's begun in us. To make us more like his son, Jesus. Amen?